Thank you for joining us today. We're in a series from the book of Judges entitled Broken Heroes, and we're learning that God often uses less than perfect people to accomplish his plan and his purpose. In Judges chapter 3, we see how Ehud, a lefty, conquered Eglon, king of the Moabites, who had oppressed the Israelites for over 18 years. And then in Judges chapter 4, Deborah predicted that a woman by the name of Jael, the Bedouin wife of Heber, the Kenite, would be the one to conquer King Jabin's commander, Sisera. Then we learn how God used Gideon, one who considered himself the most insignificant son of the weakest tribe of Manasseh. Then God reduced Gideon's army from 32,000 men to just 300, saying to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. And with only a small sample of people, God used Gideon to flatly defeat the Midianites. It was through these desperate odds that God would get the glory. These people didn't conquer the enemy through brute force or military strategy. They let God fight their battles for them, and all they did was remain faithful. You see, God really does use broken people. He uses unlikely people like Gideon and Ehud and Deborah and Jael and people like you and me. And he uses faithful people who know how to fully rely on him. When we realize that God sees something in us that we may not see in ourselves, we're unharnished from our fears and insecurities. Mark Battison wrote, If you never had a God-sized dream that scared you half to death and you haven't really come to life, if you've never been overwhelmed by the impossibility of your plans, then your God is too small. If your vision isn't perplexingly impossible, then you need to expand the radius of your prayer circles. If God sees something in us, that we don't see in ourselves, all we need to do is just agree with him. The problem is that too often we allow the greatest influencers in our lives to be those who don't see us the way God sees us. The greatest influences in your, your life should see you through the eyes of Christ, and it's up to you to decide who that person is going to be. God uses broken people, so stop making excuses and move to the front of the line. (laughs) We find our sweet spot when we discover God's purpose and design for our lives, and this allows us to live fearlessly and to act faithfully. So, today let's investigate Judges 10 and 11. It's here that we learn about a person by the name of Jephthah. In Judges 10, starting with verse 6, the story begins in the same way as all the others. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
This time they served the Baals of Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. And here it is that we see God respond in the same way. (laughs) So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites, and they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. Have you ever noticed how idolatry leads to enslavement, and then enslavement just leads to more idolatry? My generation sold itself out to institution, intolerance, mega malls and mega churches and bigger houses and nicer cars and huge promotions and lots of recognition. And in return, we got hypertension, isolation, and a lack of purposefulness and meaningfulness. Wanting to avoid becoming like us... (laughs) Our children and our children's children have embraced leisure and tolerance, flexibility, independence, and individuality. They've turned to Amazon and Siri and 5G and AI and VR and Starbucks and smaller shared living spaces. That's another way of saying living together without being married. (laughs) We've abandoned traditional family structures and resorted to having life partners and pushing our chihuahuas around in baby carriages. What we've gotten in return is mental illness, lack of impulse control, diabetes, and no sense of purpose and meaningfulness. Well, let's look at verse 8. For 18 years... They oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is Gilead. And the Amorites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. From the time of their birth to their high school graduation, the only thing this generation knew was darkness and oppression. And then we see verse 10 through 14. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, We've sinned against you because we've forsaken our God and we've served the the Baals. Can't you just see God folding his arms, tipping his head back and rolling his eyes? When the Egyptians, Amorites, Ammonites, Philistines, Sidonians, and Amalekites and Midianites oppressed you, you cried out to me for help, and I I saved you from them. And now you've gone off and you've betrayed me, worshiping other gods. I'm not saving you anymore. Go ahead. Cry out for help. Cry out to the gods that you've chosen and let them get you out of this mess you're in. God was saying, I'm tired of being your plan B. This isn't really repentance. You're coming to me because you're in trouble, not because you feel remorse. You see, God doesn't want to be our perpetual lifeboat. He wants to be our loving, 
Heavenly Father. Anything we look to in life apart from God is idolatry. And there's nothing wrong with some of these things we want in life, but real joy comes only from God. Here's what I've learned. Idolatry promises what it cannot deliver, and it demands what you cannot give. Listen to what happens next. Verses 15 and 16. The people said to God, We've sinned. Do to us whatever you think is best, but please get us out of this. And then they cleaned house of the foreign gods and they worshipped only God. And God took Israel's troubles to heart. Now, this is where the story gets really interesting. In Judges 10, verse 18, it says, And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. They began to search. They began to look around. And they found Jephthah. Jephthah's father was a prominent figure in the community, but Jephthah was an embarrassment to his family. He was a half-brother who was actually the son of a prostitute. He was always getting into fights, and he got kicked out of the house, and he hung around a bunch of thugs. He really wasn't a nice guy, and yet they chose him. Nevertheless, the elders of Gilead went to, the, to get Jephthah. Come, be our general and fight the Ammonites. Jephthah wasn't having it. <laughs> What's the deal? You hate my guts and now you want me to help? That's a little too convenient, don't you think? But the elders pleaded and begged, trying to sweet talk their way back into good graces. We really need you, man. Just say the word and we'll do whatever you say. Now, Jephthah wasn't one to turn down a good power trip, so he set some ground rules. Okay, here's the deal, he said. If I come back and we win this war, you all have to bow down to me. Got it? The elders looked at each other nervously, but they knew they had no choice. God is our witness. Whatever you say, we will do. And with that, Jephthah became the leader of the Gileadites. The people made him their top man and their general. Then Jephthah sent out messengers to the king of the Ammonites with a message. What's going on here that you have come into my country picking a fight? The king of the Ammonites told Jephthah's messengers, Because Israel took my land when they came out of Egypt, from Aaron's all the way back to Jabbok and to the Jordan. Give it back peaceably, and I'll go. Jephthah tried it again. You got it all wrong. That's not the way it happened at all. Let me explain. But the Ammonite king wouldn't have it. So... Jephthah replied, okay, we'll let God be the judge of this. Now let's look at Judges chapter 11, verse 30. This is where Jephthah made a critical mistake. He made a bargain with God. 
Listen to what it says. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. There's a problem with Jephthah's offer. It emanated from a pagan culture that traces its roots all the way back to Abraham and Isaac. There is no indication that God helped Jephthah because he made this deal. And there's no indication that God would hold him to his bargain. We cannot bargain with God, and we certainly can't do anything to win God's favor. But Jephthah went out. He faced the enemy. He beat them soundly, and he brought them to their knees and subdued them and went home victorious. Now look at verse 34 in chapter 11. As a great warrior, Jephthah returned home victorious from his battle against the Ammonites. His heart swelled with pride and relief. But as he approached his home, he heard the joyful sounds of tambourines and dancing, and his heart sank as he realized the gravity of his situation. His only daughter, his precious child, had come out to meet him with tambourines and dancing. And when he realized who it was, he ripped his clothes, saying, Oh, dearest daughter, I am despicable. My heart is torn to shreds. I made a vow to God, and I can't take it back. She said, Dear father, if you've made a vow to God, do to me what you vowed. God did his part, and he saved you from your Ammonite enemies. And then she said to her father, But let one thing be done for me. Give me two months to wander through the hills and lament my virginity, since I will never marry I and my dear friends. And so it became a custom in Israel that for four days every year, the young women of Israel went out to mourn for the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. This part of the story disturbs me, I have to admit. Is this some kind of cruel joke? How could God demand this of Jephthah? Remember, we said it is idolatry that promises what it cannot deliver and demands more than what we can give. You see, God didn't ask Jephthah to make this deal, and there's no record that God demanded that he sacrifice his own daughter. It was Jephthah's reputation and honor that was at stake, not God's. Jephthah was paying the price for a severely twisted theology. I think this story exposes a different kind of idolatry. You see, we may not have little statues laying around our houses, but there are times when we put God in a box. We impose upon him certain bargains and obligations. We let bad theology creep in and corrupt our relationship with the living Lord. 
So where does this leave us? We understand that God uses broken people just like you and me. We understand that God has an amazing purpose and plan for our lives. And God wants us to trust him and him alone. It would be so tempting to finish with a litany of contemporary idols and point out the dangers and the consequences, listing a bunch of social ills of our day and warning us not to get involved. (laughs) Wouldn't that make us feel great? Let me finish by sharing just this one single thought. Just fall in love with Jesus. The more you fall in love with him, the fewer idols you'll find in your life. Just fall in love with Jesus.